Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-hostess, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina, moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. We have Trey Hudson with us. He is the current director of the Oxford Paranormal Society and Anomalous Studies and Observation Group. Uh, He's also a a U.S. Army veteran, spent some time in Afghanistan, and uh, he is involved heavily in this fascinating project right now called the Metal Project, which has been dubbed the Skinwalker Ranch of the South. A great book here. I highly recommend you you pick it up. And uh, the man is with us this evening. Trey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. Um, we met at uh, Laughlin, the UFO Mega Conference there. Watch your presentation. It was absolutely fascinating. And you know, I kind of just want to dive right into it because sure. you started off you know, doing this as a paranormal investigator. We're doing some investigating out there in the woods at a undisclosed location. Uh, we're not allowed to uh, talk about where exactly this <laughs> is. But as you're investigating the paranormal, you start having all these other experiences and start experiencing this other activity that seems to be more UFO and extraterrestrial related. So you want to kind of dive into how all this happened? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, being a you know paranormal researchers yourselves, uh, you know, one of the best way to really dig down into stuff is to follow the folklore. You know, folklore usually has a nugget of truth, you know, somewhere down in there. So uh, we heard about a haunted road, you know, and uh, throughout the Southland, you know, you have these crazy stories, you know, that the locals tell of, you haunted, you know, areas, don't go there at night, you know, them hates will get you. So, uh, you know, we were, we were warned off of this, this area, which actually I uh, had a geocache in this, this general location. And one of the, uh, the, the researchers for the geocache had told me that he was accosted by, uh, you know, the, these locals, you know, wearing their overalls and shotguns saying, you know, don't go down that hainted road or you'll surely die. So as soon as I read the, uh, you know, the reports and, you know, the review of that geocache, I'm like, a haunted road, don't go there, you will surely die. Yeah, that's where I'm going. You know, that's absolutely where I'm going. <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, you know, I planned this this big expedition and couldn't find anybody to go with me. You know, rats, couldn't get anybody to go. Nobody was interested. Woe is me. And finally, I was able to uh, to get some friends to go that I had met of all places at a Bigfoot conference. Once again, I'm a paranormal researcher. How I ended up at a Bigfoot conference is an entirely different story. But you know, <laughs> it happens. I met these, uh, met these, yeah, it does. And I met these uh, these wonderful guys at this Bigfoot conference. Became very good friends and decided to uh, go out there with me. So, uh, my one research partner, Bob Wilson, who you met down in Laughlin uh, from the uh, TV show uh, Killing Bigfoot yeah. and Bigfoot is Real. Uh, Bob was there with his research partner, Daryl, and Daryl and I were decided we were going to drive down to this haunted road and do some research. And it was about 20 miles from our base camp. So, you know, Daryl and I were all excited. You know, we thought either this is a haunted road or it's got some cryptid activity or something like that. And we went down there and nothing happened. It was really anticlimactic. So being very dejected on this very cold, you know, grisly evening, we radioed back to uh, to Bob at base camp and said, we're coming back to base camp. You know, we had a few little interesting things, but nothing extraordinary. And Bob said, well, wait until I tell you what happened here. 
So the whole 20 mile drive back, we were just really anxious to find out what had happened to Bob. And uh, Bob is like a, a a freaky magnet. I mean, just weird stuff happens to him. He, he's, he's that, that everybody knows that guy. He is that guy. Uh, so yeah, it happens. And so, it happens. so, so, so we get back and Bob was telling us this story that, you know, he was sitting there at base camp by himself, trying to stay out of trouble, drinking copious amounts of a hot coffee, trying to stay warm on this, as I said, cold winter grizzly night. And like happens, you know, with, with guys when we're out in the woods camping and drinking coffee, yeah, coffee has to go somewhere. You know, it's not like a perpetual motion machine. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, yeah, it's not, not a what? Yeah. What? Uh, what? And so you know, he stepped out. Behind, he stepped out behind the camp to take care of some uh, personal business. He got done, and he's standing there observing the evening. And a, a lightning bolt comes down, and he's like, "Wow, you know that storm must be a little worse than I thought. There was a lightning bolt, but there was no thunder. Very odd, just a beam of light." And then right after that, he notices the moon came out. You know, a large, circular, glowing orb. The moon. And he says, oh, lucky us, you know, the, uh, the moon has come out, the clouds have moved away. Uh, we're going to have possibly a nice weekend and we won't be you know, cold and completely miserable. <clears throat> and then much to his astonishment, the moon started moving from right to left, moving sideways. In this part of the country, the moon doesn't move sideways. I don't know about other parts of the country. I haven't been everywhere, but you know, it's kind of unusual down here. Yeah. yeah. It, so, it uh, Arizona, no. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I, I, li- I lived in Sierra Vista, so I don't remember it oh. sideways either. So, no, yeah, I saw uh, AJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the moon moved and it stopped, and a small dot appeared in the middle of this orb, which you know, he quickly figured probably was not the moon. And this dot grew larger and larger and larger, completely you know, almost blotting out this orb until all he was left was a circle of light, like a. Uh, like a, a necklace of diamonds effect you have with an eclipse. And then it completely winked out. And that was uh, Bob's experience. And we're like, well, forget that haunted road business. This is where we want to research this location. And that was, uh, let me look at my notes real here. That was back in January of 2016. Okay, so yeah, we just, five years ago. But yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. You're up there for something totally different. And yeah. and it's funny to me, um, you know, cause I've been investigating a long time, and it's always funny to me how you, you know, whether it's a building or you're kind of out in the woods like you were, and you're looking for one particular thing, and all of a sudden it's something else that you right. encounter. Well, yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, uh, as researchers, and, you know, we all have to be very careful of, you know, what's known as a normalcy bias. You know, we tend to put things in our personal box. A, uh, you know, a, a, a cryptid researcher, you know, maybe looks at things just from the, the cryptid box, you know, the, you know, using the optics of a cryptologist. A, UFO, a ufologist would look at it from those optics. And a paranormal researcher would look at it, you know, from ghosts and spirits and things like that. And so, like you said, you have to step out of your, your comfort zone and look at what happens. Look at the experience. It's very experiential. And let that drive your uh, direction of your research. And that's what we decided to do. So we you know, kind of you know, backed off of the, the, the haunted road you know, aspect and decided to go into this other you know, potential area of strangeness. 
So it was, you know, it had our interest, and we really didn't know about the meadow at this time. We just know that this this particular campsite, we had this UFO sighting. So we went back in July of 2016, about you know, six months later, and we started looking at this meadow, this field, which was about a quarter of a mile from base camp. And the reason that that field caught our interest is for several reasons. Is it's a, it's a uh, imagine a mountain field, a mountain meadow, very very pristine, very beautiful very bucolic, just just really, really, really nice place, somewhere you'd want to picnic. And we figured that would be a very good place to research for several reasons. Uh, reason number one is it being a big open area, if something moves across this open area, it's going to leave tracks. So if we're looking at cryptids, and this area also has a history of cryptids. Uh, also, we could see where something would push down the vegetation. So it was like a giant track trap, as they call, as they, uh, call things like that in the uh, crypto world. Also, it was uh, big enough that we could set teams up on the periphery of the field, and if anything moved across the field at night, we would be able to pick it up with our night vision or our thermal. It had a large ridge to the south of it that we could put teams up on top of the ridge, and they could observe down into the field. So we just thought this would be a really, really cool place to research. So uh, that's what we decided to do in July of 2016, and that's when the real weirdness started happening. Uh, we decided we were going to put several teams out in the field with uh, equipped with night vision and uh, thermal uh, vision equipment, FLIR, and have one individual move across the top of the ridge. And if anything was uh, on the ridge, he would hopefully push it down into the field. We'd be able to pick it up, film it, detect it, etc. And so we all got set up in the field, got, had all our equipment ready to go. And uh, once again, this is Bob, you know, the, the, the freaky magnet. Uh, he, <laughs> is he, the image that you sent me here? Uh, no, no, this one was not. That, that was uh, okay. later on. Okay. Okay. And, Sorry, continue. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, so he gets to a, a well-known landmark as he was getting ready to make his traverse across the uh, top of the ridge. And he said, hey, guys, I'm at the, the fallen tree. And we all knew where that was. And he said, I don't remember out here. You know, I don't remember walking here. So it uh, it concerned us. You know, the first thing that popped in our mind was maybe he was having some sort of medical event. You know, we have several paramedics on the team, right. and, you know, they got on the radio, and they did, like, a really quick assessment. They said, you know, do you feel dizzy? Uh, can you feel you know, your extremities? Can you feel both hands? Can you feel, you know, both feet? Did you fall? You know, uh, do you have blurry vision? You know, thinking it might have been a stroke or something or some sort of epileptic episode. So negative to all of that. He said, I feel fine. I just really don't remember how I got here. So, you know, we've all had those days where you drive to work in a, you know, in a, in a complete oblivious, you know, fugue state. You don't remember how you got to work because you're daydreaming or whatever. And we kind of chalked it up to that. Decided for him to carry on his mission and, and traverse the top of the uh, the ridge. So he moved across the top of the ridge, dropped down into the west end of the meadow, and started working his way back east to link up with the team. So as he um, drops down in the meadow, the team takes their FLIR uh, scope, brings it up to their eye, and they see him walking across the field. They see a man-shaped heat signature, obviously Bob, walking towards them. And all of a sudden, that heat signature turns into a sphere of energy, a ball of heat, and moves several hundred meters in just a few seconds, and then turns back into a man-shaped heat signature. 
And so they're watching this on their FLIR. They That's quickly get on the written. They quickly get on the radio and they say, Bob, are you okay? And they see this heat signature, bring up a radio to its mouth, and corresponded with Bob's reply, I'm fine, why do you ask? And they said, you need to come over here and talk to us. Now, these two gentlemen that observed this, let me give you a little bit about, about their backgrounds. Daryl uh, graduated from the Georgia Institute of Technology with a marketing degree, I mean, a, a management degree, rather, has a uh, master's of public administration and is a 25-plus-year career paramedic. A, a, a well-grounded man used to crisis situations. His partner was uh, our late partner, Tim. Tim has a degree also from the Georgia Institute of Technology, but dual degreed in philosophy and physics. He was a U.S. Army Ranger and has been working on, uh, was working on programs for a large corporation for uh, AI-operated autonomous machinery. So very solid, well-grounded men. So they just saw this, and they explained to Bob what happened. But, but Bob didn't see anything. That's where it gets really weird, because they said, what happened, Bob? And he said, nothing. I was just walking over here towards you. And they said, no, we saw you turn into this, this, this ball of energy and move across this very rugged terrain in just a few seconds. He goes, no, I just walked over here. So the question is, somebody's time was compressed or altered. And was it their time, their timeline, or was it his timeline? And you know, we did, still argue to this day. Did he feel anything at all? or So he didn't see anything, he didn't feel anything? No, no, nothing. No, nothing. To, to him, it was, you know, he was just walking across the field, you know, just like anybody would mm -hmm. take a stroll. So, uh, you know, that was you know, kind of the apex of our evening. That was, you know, really, really strange. And nothing else happened that particular uh, part of the evening. Later on that night, uh, Glenn, who is our base camp operator and our net control officer, uh, had gotten up in the middle of the night and had noticed a white humanoid shape watching our camp from a distance. You know, like peering around a tree, which is interesting because if you crosswalk the folklore of this area back, there is folklore of a white, you know, Bigfoot humanoid creature in this area. So it corresponded really nicely with that. And he was going to wake up a, another team member that had a, a FLIR handy. And before she could get up and get her equipment ready, the, the, the creature or whatever it was was gone. But, you know, Glenn did observe this thing, which matches with uh, reports of that area. Uh, so you know, Glenn told us that, uh, told us about that the next morning. We were all intrigued. And Bob, uh, you know, good old Bob, came over with his GPS. Now, Bob's background is he's retired law enforcement, uh, worked backcountry search and rescue in California for years, back in the days when they would drop you off in the, uh, the wilderness with your search dog, and you would go find the, uh, the person or whatever, alive or deceased, the helicopter would pick up the individual, fly out, and you would have to make your way back. That's that's his background. You know, so he's you know, a very competent woodsman, and he has a, uh, a habit of always running the uh, tracking feature on his GPS that always records where he's been, and it has a track line wherever he was. So he brings his GPS over to us the next morning, and he shows it to us. And he says, I want you to look at this. And he opens up his track line from the evening before. 
and his track line is several straight lines of two to four kilometers each. Okay. Going point A to point B, point B to point C, point C to point D. Straight lines. You can't move over this terrain in a straight line. It's impossible. Right. So how, how, how would you move over terrain in a straight line? Okay. Question now. In the uh, air. The first one is, was your friend Bob? Was that his name? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Bob. Did he move through a portal? And if he did, does he realize, or did he realize how far and how quickly he moved? Uh, he did not detect a portal this time. Oh. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, Mike's over there kind of nodding his head because he's seen the uh, video of, uh, of oh. the portal. Oh, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, you should have come out to, you should have come out to Laughlin with us. Uh, yeah, well, there, that, that's the place okay. to be. Well, I do love Laughlin. My other question yeah. is, um, you were talking about a geocache. Where was that located? Yeah. That was located uh, somewhere east of Arizona. Okay. And south of the Mesa <laughs> she, she keeps trying. Keeps, she yeah, keeps well, so. yeah, like, like I said. It's not, it's not over. <laughs> so the, these track lines um, that were straight, these, this would have been above the tree line. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then that was the only thing we could figure out is either he had a catastrophic failure of his equipment, which just happened to coincidentally coincide with his missing time and turning into a ball of energy. Coincidentally. Or for some reason, he and his GPS were moved in straight lines across, over the terrain sometime during the evening or during his missing time. We don't know. No. Okay. Yeah, and I was about to ask if, um, like, time was off, like, on a watch or something like that, but it's not like you guys would have. I guess I'll ask that. Did you guys synchronize going in before that or just didn't even think about it at that time? Well, we usually do uh, because we, okay. you know, we have, like I said, a net control officer and we, uh, you know, part of our protocol is we check in every hour, you know, we do a radio check and uh, no, we did not, nobody had uh, uh, their time, you know, missing, you know, there wasn't like there was two or three hours off of somebody's watch or anything like that. So no. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay, I have another question now. Okay. You had mentioned earlier, or another time, another podcast, um, that the, the terrain is a lot like Skinwalker Ranch. Are there caves there and tunnels? Could the, uh, the could he have been underground and walking forward or straight? This area uh, does have mines and caves and tunnels, you know, both natural and man-made. Uh, it... The area where we were walking, you know, we're, we've become pretty familiar with the area. We have not encountered a cave. There are caves in this, you know, this region, this area, but not not in this particular location that I'm aware of. Okay. No chance he was underground going forward. Yeah, yeah, not not that I know of. Okay. And I just tossed up a comment there from our uh, friend James Keenan, oh, uh, yeah. Victoria and Trey. So great to see James yeah, down there. <laughs> James is awesome. Yep. Yeah, James is a great guy. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed there at Laughlin, uh, just kind of sitting there and watching you and James and listening in. I, the two of you going back and forth about your experiences, about technology, all of that. It was great conversation. Oh, well, so. thanks. It was, uh, yeah, he, James is a great guy. He's uh, a wealth yeah, of information, is. a wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, certainly. And so kind of leading into that, our uh, chat moderator, Alina, has a question. Uh, given that this is known as the Skinwalker Ranch of the South, uh, have you been doing any, uh, were there any new experiments done at the Meadow like the ones on Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, unlike the Skinwalker Ranch stuff, we are self-funded. Wah, 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 you know, so, uh, you know, but we do, uh, you know, we do use some of the same equipment. Uh, you know, we do use tri-field, you know, EMF meters, you know, and they also measure RF energy and all of that. So we, uh, we do that. Uh, something that's been very intriguing is we use uh, radiation detectors, Geiger counters. Oh, and what, okay. we, kind of sure. what, what we have seen is little tiny spikes of radiation when some of these incidents of, of high strangeness occur. And when I say tiny spikes, I'm talking, you know, nothing dangerous. Uh, like a, the background radiation is about 0 0.06 microsieverts per hour. And during some of these things, we might see a spike of 0.12 to 0.6 microsieverts per hour. So it's, you know, it's nothing dangerous, but it's, you know, empirically, it's, it's enough, you know, for us to take notice. And uh, I did send uh, send you a link. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it of our SD session. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see. And, it. <laughs> well, I'll forward it to you, Victoria. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, whenever the entity would answer, we would have these little tiny spikes of radiation, which you know I don't understand why and what the phenomenology is behind that but it was it was very intriguing and we've had some other instances where we've had little spikes of radiation I had a uh, incident there at the meadow where um, the only way I can explain it is I became extremely disoriented now a little bit about my background is I'm an Eagle Scout I earned the Boy Scouts uh, 50 mile award three times uh, nice. I, I've, hunt, I've hunted in North America. I've hunted in Africa, backpacked all over the U.S. So, you know, I'm very comfortable outdoors. I've been to the meadow many, many, many times. And I became so disoriented in the meadow that I did not know where I was. I thought I was in another part of the forest. And if it wasn't for my research partner being there and saying, Trey, where you we walked, you made a big circle and you're back in the meadow. And I argued with her. I said, no, no, this is something new. We've never been here before. She goes, stop and look around. And it took me about 10 minutes to get, gather my wits about me. And at that time, we had another radiation spike when that went on of about 0.33 microsieverts per hour. But it was the disorientation was so profound. I have to wonder, could I have ended up as a chapter in one of David Pilate's books? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Could you have, uh, you know, been missing 411? Uh, and it makes me wonder, you know, if, if you're getting disoriented and you're having these radiation spikes, or did you experience any sort of, you know, radiation sickness? No, no. It was, like I said, it's very minor amounts. It's not, okay. a, it's you know, just maybe just a fudge above background radiation, not, you know, anything that would affect you physiologically. Okay. Uh, but, you know, empirically, it's, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, you have these little tiny spikes. Uh, and, and also, it's very interesting that this area is not too far from one of David Polite's missing 401 clusters. Oh, wow. And is, yeah. how large is this area? I mean, is it pretty easy to get lost out there? 
Uh, it, it's in the, the nature preserve is, is huge. Okay. It's, you know, it's a very large, large area. Yes. You could get lost out there. The meadow is probably six acres. Okay. So, you know, so, but it's one of those things. There's a chance though you could wander off the meadow and and get lost. And get completely lost. Yeah. If you went in the wrong distance, you could walk for days. But it's fairly isolated, right? From what I've yeah. been reading, yeah. Okay, you, yeah. you can drive to the camp, but then you have to pack it in. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's one of the downsides to it because you know there's a lot of equipment that we would like to bring out there, and we just can't because we have to you know carry it in on our backs. So you know, unfortunately, you know, if you leave equipment A at the camp, then you get there, and that might not be the right equipment, or that might be the right equipment set that you need. And you're stuck with equipment set B. So it's, you know, it's always kind of a gamble making sure you have the right equipment out there. Can you bring horses? I know a lot of these places you can, like in Arizona and Flagstaff, we could take horses up and stuff. And maybe they can. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could. You could take horses or mules back in here. But I mean, okay. it's, yeah, I mean, people do ride horses in that area. Okay. Um, I do have a question. Um, Mike was on the Alaska Triangle and who knows there's more than one triangle. I only thought it was the Bermuda Triangle. Is um, this possibly in a triangle area of the south of weirdness? Oh, yeah, I know the south, but, you know, <laughs> is there like a geographical <laughs> triangle that, you know, other anomalies are happening there? You know, it could be. Here's the interesting thing is, you know, we just sort of stumbled into this area. You know, we just lucked upon it. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder how many people have these areas of high strangeness in their backyard, you know, and maybe in their own neighborhood, and they just don't realize it because they haven't yeah. discovered it yet. So, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. There could be other areas of high strangeness, you know, located or, or you know, many miles away. Uh, this, you know, this this nature reserve and the and the contiguous counties have a very weird history, a very strange history of. Uh, you know, UFOs and you know, Bigfoot and tragedy, you know, like yeah. uh, murders and bodies being found and just all this crazy stuff. So it's a, it's a very weird area uh, where all this stuff happens. Before we started, I asked you if it was, and I don't want to know where it is, so don't tell me, um, if it was on a specific um, latitude line, because there's all these weirdness that goes around. And I found that the 37th parallel really goes from like 23 to 40. So it's like a paranormal jet stream that kind of goes through the country. Do you find that it's in this area? And because there's like cattle mutilations and UFOs and, and orbs and lights and disappearing people. Well, every, everywhere is on a specific <laughs> latitude. That's, that's okay. kind of how latitude is designed. Well, I mean, it doesn't fall in that range. Yeah. So it, is, <laughs> it, it, do, it, does, it does fall in the range from okay. the tip of Florida all the way up to the Mason-Dixon line. It's Okay, because I know yeah, that... How's that for specificity? Oh, I, almost said, <laughs> I almost said something, but I promised you I would say something. So, <laughs> um, okay, I have one more question, then I'll be hush. Um Okay, sure. Being from the South, you know, we do all these Southern things. And when I was a kid, we used to always go to the Okefenokee. Have you been down there? Because I hear there's all these weird things down there. Have you researched down there and done any investigations? And- uh, uh, actually, uh, I used to hunt in the Okefenokee with my father as a child. And I, I'm from Florida originally, uh-huh. but I haven't researched down there. But I, uh, 
I did go down, and my goodness, I cannot remember the woman's name or the town. She had a very uh, famous Bigfoot sighting, uh, and we did go down to her home and do some research one time. So we've done a little bit of research down there. Okay, because I had heard but, that they were that they found actually giant remains, so like the Nephilim, were down there also. Yeah, yeah I mean that there. There's a whole, uh, you know, the whole folklore, and you know, depending on who you ask, you know, physical history of, uh, you know, large skulls and bones and all of that that have been found for, uh, you know, years. Redheaded giants, you know, okay. things like that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right. So just to refresh everybody, we're almost halfway through the show here. Uh, just to refresh everybody. This is uh, Trey's book, The Metal Project. So you definitely want to grab that. Uh, it has a lot of the information that Trey's been sharing with us uh, this evening. I grabbed this from him at uh, the, the mega conference. So uh, I think we traded books is what we ended up yeah. with. <laughs> Yeah. And, and believe it or not, your, your book is in my box of books that was mailed on the 13th of June, and it still has not arrived yet. Oh, no. Wow. Thank, yeah, thank you, you, thank you, U.S. Postal Service. You know. Yeah, they were terrible around the holidays, too. There were things yeah. that were uh, shipped out the, uh, the end of November last year, and it was middle of february and i was still giving my mother christmas presents so <laughs> that was crazy but um so you had sent me a, a handful of photographs uh, that you had uh captured up there right. in the metal do we want to go ahead since we're about halfway through the show now go ahead and yeah, discuss those sure. anybody listening to the podcast later on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or when uh, we run syndicated on uh, KGRA Radio. Apologize that you're not going to be able to see the photos, but uh, we can at least describe them. So, okay, right, so, so this, uh, yeah. first one here. That is our team, uh, and that was during uh, February of uh, 2017. And our team members are in the middle of the meadow, and they're facing south. Uh, saw what appeared to be a box or a cube appear on their FLIR. You know, so they're they're watching this this cube manifest itself as the FLIR unit picks up variances in heat. And before they were able to hit record, this box or cube had this. We decided we were going to dispatch a team to where this or cube was, and this is a still from a video. And, of course, what you cannot see from this still is just a few moments after the team uh, moves beyond where you see them here, they completely disappear off of all of our equipment. They're gone. They vanish. And then we have video of them coming back out of the remnants of this cube or box. The interesting thing is during the after-action review, which I have the transcript of that in the book, is the, uh, the individuals that went into this uh, this area, I'm just going to jump out there and call it a portal. Why not? We're among friends. Sure. May as well. And, <laughs> and, uh, and they described it as when they went in there, it was ex they uh, did not encounter any brambles, any bushes, any briars, roots, anything like that. They just walked right into it, and it was extremely dark, like a velvet curtain had dropped over them, You know that, that mm -hmm. dark and dense. And it was cold. And we, you know, it's possible that that, that coldness 
is what our equipment was picking up. You know, the the, the, the heat difference caused by this portal or vortex or whatever. And when they came out of it, they encountered brambles and briars and bushes and branches and all of that that weren't there when they went in. So there was something about the environment that had shifted just a little bit when they went in that returned to normal when they came out. Now, so they, uh, something, they actually walked into this portal? Yes, yes. Okay. And, and what's interesting is uh, there's a, I took a video during the same time of year of that area of, the, of a team walking to that, and you can see them you know, clearly on the video. And what's even more interesting is that the vegetation is so sparse during that time of year is you can actually see through the vegetation all the way to the bottom of the ridge and up the ridge. So, you know, there's no way that all of their heat signatures could have completely dropped off of our FLIR unit. And anybody that's watched any military videos of FLIR in action or police or used the units, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to hide from these things. But yet, somehow my team was able to do that. And that was the video that I, I showed there at uh, Laughlin. Right, yeah, I, I recall that. So when, when this is happening and they're, they're going into what, what they believe was a portal, um, and you know they're disappearing off off the cameras. Uh, was anybody running uh, you know, EMF equipment? Did they detect anything anomalous on whatever equipment they may have had uh, with them at the time? Now, the, what we had with us at the time is uh, we had some K twos. You know, some of the you know real basic uh, EMF didn't really detect anything. Uh, we don't really detect a whole lot of EMF. You know, in this area at that time, we didn't have Geiger counters. So, uh, you know, we didn't have that equipment with us. So pretty much what we were picking up is heat. And we're, uh, another thing that gets really weird is about the time that the team was entering into this area, this anomaly, is uh, one of my team members hands her FLIR unit to the right. And there is a small copse of trees, maybe 40 meters from where we were at. And she says, who or what is that? And there are two heat signatures that did not correspond with any of our team members. Like I said, we uh, have radio contact. We use kind of a, we're kind of disciplined when we're in the field. We know where everybody is at all times. Did not correspond with any team members. And these two heat signatures were about six foot tall, maybe 24 inches, two feet wide, like something was watching us and then dissipated. Do you use any sort of um, body cameras or GoPros or anything like that when you're out there in the field? Yes. The yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We do. We run GoPros and you know all of that. Okay. Did you ever see these two figures again, or was it just this one time? Uh, actually, prior to that, when the team originally had dropped off of the ridge using kind of the same, uh, you know, same tactics as before. Uh, right before we dropped off the ridge, we had seen a heat signature uh, down in the meadow that didn't, once again, did not correspond with any of our team members. And the heat signature uh, looked like it was about six foot tall, and then it dropped down to like three foot and back up to six, and then to two, two heat signatures. You know, going back to what we discussed earlier, you were a, a, a paranormal researcher and you were picking up heat signatures like that. What would you say those were? Ghosts. You know, that's what a normal guy would say. 
ufologists would say, you know, they're aliens or ETs. So, you know, all we know is they were, you know, man-sized heat signatures that did not correspond with any known team members, very much like the heat signature a human being would put off that we can't explain. So it was a heat signature, not a cold signature? Well, a heat signature meaning it's a variance of heat, you know, either yeah. a presence or absence I mean, of heat. Yeah, but yeah. it was it was showing up warm, not cold? Yeah, I, I believe so. I would okay. have to go back and look at the settings on the equipment. Okay. All right, yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating for sure. So you have some other... Some other photos here. Now, this one, Ooh. this was Bob? Uh, yeah. I believe you told me. That is Bob. Yeah, that, yeah, that is uh, April of 2018. We had uh, done some uh, uh, different kind of stuff. And we had backpacked to a similar meadow about seven miles away. So we packed our equipment seven miles into this other meadow there on Friday evening. We had come back to uh, the original meadow on Saturday, and this is a this is a uh, a still from a video taken that Saturday evening of a large, obviously a large hulking figure uh, watching us from the tree line, which is interesting because uh, we also have some photographs uh, from 2017 of what appeared to be a uh, a cryptid during the daytime watching us from the wood line. So yeah, that's that's a pretty neat. Uh, some neat footage right there. But you can see it's large, it has a head, large shoulders, arms, uh, very strange, very distinctly different and colder than its surroundings. Whatever that thing is, it was actually colder than the trees around it. Yeah, pretty pretty broad shoulders. Like you said, I mean, hulking is kind of a, uh, a good term for that. So yeah, uh, definitely yeah. interesting capture. And then he had this uh, photo of a backpack. So what's the story behind the backpack here? Ah, uh, the backpack is a very odd story, too. Like I yeah, as, as though it wasn't all odd. Uh, we had gone to, to research a uh, meadow uh, that, you know, from our, uh, you know, reconnaissance using uh, maps and uh, aerial photographs looked very similar to our meadow, except it was about seven miles away. So we had gone out there and uh, hiked about seven miles did some research that night in this meadow, didn't really see a whole lot. Nothing really happened that evening. And uh, we had uh, set up camp on a fire break. Anybody that's familiar with forests uh, here in the Southeast, you know, the forests are very dense. And uh, the state government will cut uh, fire breaks, you know, through the forest to help control any uh, out of control fires. And so we set up on this fire break, uh, our camps, we had hammocks and tents. And uh, during the evening, about 2 a.m., if I recall right, uh, two of my members said they light go down, shoot down the fire break, you know, down this, this four spot did not look like, did not resemble a lamp, a flashlight, a lamp, or anything like that. It was just this beam of intense light. And they didn't think anything more of it and, and went to sleep. The next day, uh, the one gentleman that had a tent, uh, an electrical engineer by the name of Terry, who's on our team, got up and he noticed that something had happened to his pack. His pack had a stick woven in amongst the hip belt. What was interesting about it is one side of the stick was below one side of the hip belt, 
and the other side of the stick was above the right side of the hip belt. We looked around to see if that stick could have fallen from a tree, if he could have set his pack down and somehow broke it off of a, uh, you know, of a, a small dead sapling coming out of the ground. We could find nothing that corresponded to where this stick would have come from. It's almost like something or someone had placed that stick and woven it underneath his backpack, uh, underneath one side belt and over the other side while he was asleep to uh, message. No, exactly. Kind of breaking up a little bit, Trey, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, fascinating what's going on there with the uh, with the stick in the backpack, and so it, it it's just illogical <laughs> how that would have ended up like. Yeah, it, it made no sense, you know. And it, you know, if you're not really paying attention, you can just blow that off and not not even notice it. But it was so strange that you know Terry stopped what he was doing as we were packing up the next morning and said. You know, guys, come over here. Look at this. You know, we're not going to touch anything. Let's try to figure this out. And as much as we could tried, we could never you know, come up with an explanation of how it ended up in that configuration. Yeah, that's very strange. Have you had other occurrences like this where equipment has been manipulated in such a strange way? Uh, not so much that particular way. Now we've had myriad equipment failures. You know that just goes with the territory that's been doing right. this kind of stuff for any period of time has you know, battery drains uh you know i've had my you know my uh, night vision camera quickly uh you know when i left camp ghetto doesn't work at all frustrated that works fine we've had two drones get fried you know just mm-hmm. completely you know inoperable and had to be sent back so, but as far as stuff being manipulated like that, that was uh, about the only time that I recall something is is that obvious was the backpack. Victoria, it looks like you want to ask something. Yeah, but I shouldn't. So <laughs> you got that you got that smile over there that says I have no, a question. <laughs> I have lots yeah. of questions. Um, do you know what the mineral composition is of that area? Is there a lot of quartz or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's is kind of any... quartzy. Yeah, quartzy. <laughs> that's a geological term for you for you non scientists. That's a highly technical geological term. Yeah, like, quartzy. Okay. That's where I would live. Quartzy. I'm a, like a rock rockologist. Rock, rock <laughs> there you go. I love my rocks. <laughs> I got my rocks. Um, well, is there anything that would make some sort of naturally occurring radioactive? leakage into the atmosphere because you just kept saying you, you were getting radiation hits or um, spikes when things were starting to happen. Yeah, that, that's a, you know, that, that's a fair question. Uh, radon gas is not unknown in this region. Uh, you know, like okay. Arizona and some uh, Skinwalker Ranch is, you know, an area that's prone to radon. Uh, so, you know, that's, that could be true. You do have some natural background radiation everywhere. So, right. uh, yeah, yeah, it's possible. We really don't know what's causing these spikes. Uh, probably one of the most significant st- spikes we had, we were uh, out researching the meadow, and Bob, once again, was back at camp by himself. He was having some uh, health issues and wasn't able to go out with us. And as he was sitting at camp, 
uh, he heard a vessel or a craft come by uh, by our camp. We were in a little bit different location because COVID had shut down campsites in this, this preserve. And about 20 yards from the campsite was a long road, you know, traversed the nature preserve. Mm-hmm. A vessel or a craft go down the road, and it was a, a church road. And he lived, you know, in the, in, the, in the country in the south, knows that very distinctive crunchy gravel sound of mm-hmm. when something drives down one of these roads. He heard that sound but saw no no lights. It was completely blacked out, whatever it was. This was an extremely dark, moonless night. Extremely dark. You could not drive down this road without using the most advanced generation three night vision equipment safely. You just couldn't do it. And when this vessel or craft moved past the camp, he could hear it. He had a radiation spike of about 0.6660 microsieverts per hour. That corresponded exactly when whatever that thing was passed by. That's interesting. So what do you think it is? Yeah. Do you think it's UFO related or or something natural from this earth? Well, here's here's where it gets really interesting. <laughs> okay. The yeah. whole thing's been interesting. As if it's not all <laughs> Absolutely. Is, you know, you know, beware of labels, beware of boxes. Uh mm-hmm. is you know, UFOs, you know, are they extraterrestrial? You know, they're, they're using the term UAP now, un, unexplained aerial right. phenomena. Uh, so, and a lot of people are looking at maybe dimensional issues. You know, John Keel talked about the ultra terrestrials. You know, they weren't necessarily extraterrestrials, they were ultra, meaning above or just out of phase of Earth. I use the term paradimensionals, that's, that's a term I use, is they're above or outside of our dimension, just shifted just enough that maybe we can't perceive them. And maybe here with you know, as, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and as they go, go about their business, whatever their business is, you know, maybe there are small indicators or small changes in the environment that can be picked up as radiation, as EMF, as as variants uh, of tip. And so, you know, the term craft, I use that term because that's what it seemed like, but who Yeah, that's why I was wondering if it's like a paranormal triangle there, because it seems like it's there, but it's out of phase, like it's out of sync, sort of. And it just comes back into alignment every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, they're, they're, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, because um, you hear about some of these, you've said, okay, there's the meadow and then there's this other meadow that you uh, went and investigated. And you hear sometimes about these different locations that people find in, in the middle of a forest somewhere where things just for whatever strange reason won't grow. And, you know, maybe maybe there is a little growth and it's kind of twisted and contorted. It's very different. And just for some strange reason, things there are different or like i said won't grow or what have you um are are you finding that type of stuff there at this particular meadow and you know maybe even the second one that uh, you went and investigated that it's just there's something strange physically about the area 
So uh, you, know, you can't tell by little okay. only two and a half feet tall. So I was kind of stunned. Uh, hello. What about hi? Still with us, Trey? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Okay, yeah, you're kind of breaking up on us a bit. Well, what about uh, wildlife? Yeah, well, there... it's uh, unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know. Not a lot of wildlife, but, you know, kind of normal what you would expect, turkey, deer, you know, possums, raccoons, okay. things like that. So it's, you know, there's not really a lack of vegetation there or any stunted or mutated vegetation. It's it's just really a beautiful location. And if you didn't know about these really strange happenings, you know, like I said, you would take your, you know, hike in here and take your family for a picnic. It's just, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Hmm. Okay. So I have uh, one more photo here that you sent along. This strange growth. What's going on here with this? Okay, that is uh, that is really interesting. That a sapling in the middle of a creek uh, adjacent to the area where I became very disoriented. And that's the top of the sapling that's about 12 feet tall. And the sapling is maybe about three quarters of an inch in diameter. You can see the, the, the trunk of it. And the top of it was formed into a perfect oval. You know, it, it, it's almost like someone or something tied or constructed that oval. What's weird about it is it's 12 feet tall. You can't bend it over because it's literally in the middle of this creek. And you can't take a ladder or something and get up to it because there's just not a way to do that. And where it gets kind of funky is that oval is the same kind of shape as you see on an Egyptian ankh. And if you do a little bit more research, uh, what you find is there are certain architectural uh, features throughout the world that are known as the galactic keyway. And it's almost like a keyhole type thing and it's usually a uh, a symbol that designates something to do with portals or doorways and so all you need to do is google where the galactic keyhole and you'll have all the, these examples you know structures and right and symbols that are usually associated with uh, doorways or portals is that the only okay, one so you've seen? I'm sorry. Is that the only no, one you've seen out there? That's the only one you've seen yeah, made yeah. like that? Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah. Yes, that's the only one. Okay. But you found that in a location in which you were having some experiences and so you believe that, you know, that's the the tie into uh some of the possible portal activity. You know, it you know, are there coincidences? You know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that, you know, that this particular sapling was so strange that it, it drew our attention when we saw it. It matches a known type symbol, which is usually somehow related doorways or ways. And it's in the exact look that I became extremely door and had a rating spike at the beginning where we experience with a portal. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So yeah. Were there other experiences you were having 
in that area, uh, along with what, what you felt and then the possible poor, were there other things going on around that sapling? Uh, yeah, back uh, early, early in our investigations, uh, that particular area, right, literally where I was standing when I took that photograph, uh, some team members heard a loud splash in the creek that was between where I was standing and that, uh, and that sapling almost like something had thrown a rock or a log or something into the creek to get our attention or maybe to distract us. So that particular area, uh, you know, is kind of a weird little, you know, epicenter, you know, before this. So yeah, we stuff happened in that specific precise location before. Absolutely. Okay. So we only have a few minutes left in the show here, about seven minutes. So I do want you to talk a little bit about uh, what people can uh, find and discover in your book. So that's the uh, the metal project. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, we have only been able to touch on you know just the proverbial tip of the iceberg. There are tons of information in there. I didn't even get a chance to talk about various businesswomen of the forest which is a crazy, that was really story. interesting. The story about the businesswoman. Yeah. I was fascinated by that. When you talked about her at, uh, at Laughlin. Yeah, it's uh, that's a crazy sto- story. Uh, uh, there's another, uh, another thing in there about the uh, term Knox Magby. That was a download with one of our team members, which means children of the night goddess. Uh, so, you know, the book is just chock full of other bizarre, crazy, weird things. You know, UFO sightings beyond what this evening. So it's uh, in there is uh, by many like it happened. It's available in uh, cover and Amazon.com. And, Personally, I think it's like four nine nine for a real. Yeah, Trey's breaking up a bit again here, but uh, we'll go ahead and put the link up. Alina had uh, posted it here to uh, to Amazon. So uh, yeah, definitely everybody. Uh, grab the book. Uh, definitely very interesting. And if you can, you know, make it out to see Trey present at uh, one of these conferences, absolutely go ahead and do so because he'll show you the photos, he'll show you video footage, uh, all the fascinating stories. Uh, Trey, what do you have coming up on tap as far as uh, conferences here? Uh, unfortunately, I had two online. I had the uh, Phenomen- Phenomenicon uh, in Vernal, Utah. That unfortunately corresponded with the weekend before my daughter's wedding. So I was not able oh. to present that one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then I was also invited out to the uh, the Ozarks uh, UFO gathering in the uh, there in Arkansas. And that corresponded with a trip I'm supposed to be taking to Greece and Israel uh, in April. So uh, right now my, my conference schedule is pretty much open. Uh, I don't really have anything uh, going on. I will be uh, presenting to the local Rotarian Club there in Montgomery, Alabama on Friday and giving the uh, presentation there. So if anybody wants to drive down to Montgomery uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'll be there. But uh, There you go. 
So uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing's, yeah. So nothing's I'll get through the right night before. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm hoping that I'll get some more, uh, you know, some more offers here. But of course, you know, COVID's got everything kind of messed up right now. So we'll, we'll just have to see how that works yeah. out. Yeah, it's kind of made a mess of things here. It's uh, <laughs> kind of hit or miss with some of the different conferences. So um, yeah. now hopefully our, our paths will cross again here. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So a quick question here out of the uh, chat. Mm-hmm. Um, has anyone thought, this is from Sarah uh, Porfidio, has anybody thought of the idea that ETs could resemble us and blend in with the rest of society? So straight up ET question. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, you know, you go back and you look at the... Uh, the proverbial men in black, or maybe in our case, the woman in black, with the businesswoman of the forest. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I think. <laughs> yeah, businesswoman of the forest was she an ET? But she went to your school, right? Y'all have the same degree. Yes. Well, the same fascinating things. There are so many things similar mm-hmm. with her and you. It's like she knew what you were thinking before you thought it, kind of. Yes. And as it turns out, I was contacted by a psychotherapist in Turkey, of all places, uh, who knows her. She is a real person. Really? Yes. And uh, she was there that evening. But from her perspective, nothing odd happened. Ooh. But, but oh, part of the, Right. But part of the story was, if you remember, she urinated in front of us, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah bizarre well that's the south for you you know we, yeah, we're like well, we're like that you know yeah yeah what do you but, think crop, uh, crop circles don't even want to go about that's a whole know. new take on crop circles victoria <laughs> yeah no. i grew up in the country i know these things yeah, no. <laughs> anyway mm. <laughs> oh look at the time i'm just kidding yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, and there's, there's James, uh, throwing out the idea of, uh, you know, was it possibly possession? Or could she have been cloned maybe even, you know, duplicated? That is, you know, an excellent question, uh, is that her did not detect caution being controlled by absolutely. Okay. Wow. All right. So, all right. Well, we're going to have to go ahead and uh, wrap it up, my friend. Again, one more time, where can people find the Metal Project? <laughs> so, uh, Amazon. Where's Amazon.com. The geo- <laughs> where's the geocache? <laughs> yeah, and I'll put I'm the uh, link one more time up here uh, from when Lena posted it. So, all right. So, Trey, thank you again so much for joining us this evening. Everybody, go ahead, pick up his book. Catch him whenever he's presenting again and uh, any other podcast that he may be on. He always has fascinating information for everybody. Well, so. thanks for having me. It's, it's been nice to see you. And it's, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, Trey. Take care. <laughs>